Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. How do the roots of plants work? That was a question that Charles Darwin apparently asked 130 years ago when he was doing his research that eventually made him quite famous. You'll remember that Mr. Darwin promoted the theory of the survival of the fittest, evolution in other words. Well, I have it on good authority that 130 years later, today, we still do not fully understand how roots work. Of course, science and our understanding of the natural world is leagues ahead of the knowledge base that existed back in Mr. Darwin's day, in the 1800s. But such widely occurring natural events apparently still elude us. There is a scientist in a laboratory in France that has made some enormous advances, however, in understanding the mysteries of plant life and how they live and function in our natural world. There has obviously been some progress over the years, and scientists do appreciate and are beginning to understand more and more of the complexities about which I refer. I still find it amazing to be told that about half of a particular plant actually resides below the surface, below the soil level. While the leaves and flowers and colouring and shapes of the plant may be interesting and quite attractive to an observer, this part of a plant is the part that processes what kind of soil it is growing in, the conditions around it, and then sends messages to the root structure regarding where and how to grow. I find that amazing. The roots then accept these instructions and penetrate the soil, find nutrient or moisture, and then proceeds to grow in the correct direction. Would you not agree this is fascinating? Plant roots are said to be the most efficient systems known for underground exploration. They can pierce the ground using only the smallest fraction of the energy that a worm or a mole or even a man-made excavator would need to achieve the same task. But back to the French scientist that I mentioned. He has allegedly developed a machine that attempts to mimic the way we understand that root of plants penetrate the soil. Using an ingenious assembly of parts that he has named a plantoid, it is essentially a robot. It has a central reservoir containing chemicals and fluids that feed down into a mass of root-like cylindrical tubing with diodes and miniature motors and valves and so on. He's been able to emulate the way he believes a plant root operates and has been successful in having his robot penetrate the soil where it was placed, much like a real plant would do. But it still has a long, long way to go to be really like a plant that acts in the way that God made it. I said that it still has a long, long way to go because a real plant takes its information from the root structure, then processes all that data 
along with the data that it gleans from above the surface using its flowers and leaves with photosynthesis and so on, the robot can only push mechanical roots into the soil, so far anyway. The inventor has great plans to emulate the rest of the plant's magnificent attributes and all the other marvels and the many intricacies, all given it the moment of creation by an omnipotent God. Once again, I perceive that mankind is rushing to try to understand a little of what the Creator made so long ago. But they're always so far behind, always so little understood. The anomaly is that the more we learn of how wonderful is our world, the more we should be inspired to give praise to the one who made it all. Yet, sadly, so often people do not. We so often take it all for granted, or worse, we refuse to give God the glory he so justly deserves. 130 years after Darwin asked his questions about the plant, no one can yet give a complete answer. Yet people fight to ensure that the theory of evolution that seeks to replace the creator with the ideas of natural adaptation and survival of the fittest and so on, that it becomes the accepted standard and replaces intelligent design and the creator as the explanation for why we are here. We live in a confused and shaken world. I can only say what I have said before in similar surroundings, and that is to repeat the words from the Book of Romans that they refuse to acknowledge God in spite of all the evidence around them, so God gave them up. We should be careful, my advice to those who would try to replace God. Jesus and silver or gold, I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have a Jesus than a house is to his 
our speaker, Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ once again. Today we want to discuss another mystery revealed in the New Testament. Previously we did a three-part study on the mystery of the Kingdom of God, as taught by Jesus Christ in the parables of Matthew chapter 13. Today we want to discuss Christ, the mystery of God, as taught by the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2. Now, as always, I encourage you, if possible, to get your Bible and follow along as we peruse the wonderful Word of God together. What a joy and privilege for us to be able to do so. I trust that today's message will be both a blessing and a challenge to you, but above all else, that God will be glorified as we search the Scriptures together. But remember, as someone else has said, the Word of God was not given to satisfy our curiosity, but to transform our lives. I pray that this will be the result of our time together as we look into the Word of God. Turn then with me, please, to Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, as we first consider the context of the doctrine of Christ, the mystery of God. Quote, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you, says the Apostle Paul, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. 
My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. End of quote. I trust that you will see here that Paul's concern for these believers is an accurate understanding of the Word of God. This prevents deception as well as providing the kind of assurance and comfort for our faith. Now, we see then in this passage that the proclamation of this mystery of Christ is the cause of Paul's intense exertion of energy in the ministry of the Word of God, which is designed by him to mature believers in the faith. Here's how he puts it in the previous verses, chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, which came just before the verse we read in chapter 2. He says in verse 28 then, chapter 1, quote, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. End of quote. What a powerful passage this is. Paul's intense labor in proclaiming the word of God was done in the abundantly and powerfully supplied energy of Jesus Christ himself. He says that his primary objective is to present everyone perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. This was the motivation that drove him so relentlessly in his ministry. It was imperative, as far as he was concerned, that all men hear his message about Christ, the mystery of God. Now, if you look at the text very carefully, you will see that he wants three groups of believers to know and understand the extent of his striving to get the message of Christ to them. This is all stated in verse 1 of chapter 2. He is directing his attention and his energy toward the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and even those whom he has not yet met. What an ambition! His purpose for striving so energetically to teach them about Christ is threefold. And again, this is all contained in verses 2 and 3. First he says that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now, my friends, it's important to remember that the heart is often used in Scripture to refer to the mind as well, the seat of understanding as well as of emotions. In so doing, the Bible provides a proper balance between the intellectual and the emotional elements of our makeup. In Ephesians 1.18, for instance, the Apostle says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then further, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow, what a statement this is. And so what Paul is saying is that an intellectual understanding of the truth about Christ 
will result in both a mental and emotional encouragement that will lead to the well-being of the Christian and they being united in love and deep conviction concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Now the word united in this text is in the passive voice, indicating that the uniting is done not by the believer, but by God himself. It is the automatic result of believers having the same knowledge about Jesus Christ, a unity that comes from Jesus Christ himself, that comes from the Holy Spirit, that comes from God the Father. Paul states the same truth in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Listen again to this wonderful prayer of the Apostle. Verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. End of quote. Man, what a magnificent scripture this is. But Paul says the very same thing, and it has to do with the same truth about the mystery of Christ. Listen to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 and I'm reading the word of God intentionally to you today so that it might sink deep into your soul quote Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 it was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. End of quote. What a magnificent passage of Scripture again. Doesn't it just do your heart good to read these wonderful words from our wonderful God? Paul states a second purpose for teaching about Christ in verse 2 of this passage in Colossians chapter 2. He says, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Notice, the full riches of complete understanding. Now, this is dependent upon the believer being encouraged in heart and united in love. One builds upon the other. That's how maturity in Christ works. We grow from glory to glory. One truth builds upon the other. Obedience leads to greater revelation. The phrase complete understanding may also be translated full assurance of understanding. It carries the connotation of a conviction based on understanding. It 
in context, it refers to the understanding of the will of God as found in His Word. Now, the third part of Paul's purpose for ministry and proclaiming Christ is stated in the latter part of verse 2 and verse 3. This is where the mystery is stated and explained. Paul says, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice that phrase repeated again, wisdom and knowledge. Notice the prerequisite for truly knowing the mystery of God is being united in love and having the full assurance that comes from understanding the person of Christ. This will then allow believers to know the mystery of God. Now, what is this mystery? What is this truth that was hidden in past ages but is now being revealed to believers? Paul states it very clearly. It is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In essence, then, the mystery of God is the person of Christ. But specifically, it is in connection with the fact that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. That's the mystery. That's the truth that is revealed. This is something that was not known in the past. It was hidden in God, not in the Old Testament, but in God. He simply did not reveal this to anyone, anywhere, at any other time than right at this moment that Paul is proclaiming the truth. The word hidden in verse 3 then does not mean concealed or hidden away, but rather stored or deposited. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ, not concealed or hidden away in Christ. God has invested him with the totality of divine wisdom and knowledge. Without him, we would be in total and absolute ignorance concerning the person, the purpose and program of God. Everything God wants us to know about himself is found in Jesus Christ. Everything God wants us to know about himself, I say, is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything God wants us to be and to do is found in Christ. In and through him, God has given us the final word about everything that pertains to life and godliness. Treasures refer to that which is precious, valuable, and stored away for future use. Matthew 6.19 tells us that treasures may be stored on earth. Matthew 19 says that they may be stored in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says they may be stored in jars of clay, meaning our physical bodies. And Hebrews 11.26 tells us that they may be stored in a country. But here, Paul tells us that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found only in Jesus Christ. Now, wisdom and knowledge refer to truth about God as well as the church. He is not referring to the wisdom and knowledge of the world or of men or of false religions or of the flesh, but rather of that wisdom and knowledge that is totally, absolutely and exclusively of God. And they are totally, absolutely and exclusively found in Jesus Christ. Paul emphasizes the depth of God's wisdom and knowledge in Romans 11.33. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Compared to such divine wisdom, man's wisdom is foolishness. Thus we see then that God has stored all 
in Christ Jesus. All the wisdom and all the knowledge that is necessary to know about him, to please him and to serve him. Everything that is essential for the age of the church and for the believer and for this time in which we live. And it has nothing to do with the wisdom of the world. Our obligation and privilege as believers, therefore, are to know all we can about Jesus Christ and to imitate him in our life. This comes through a proper knowledge of the written word of God in which is stored or hidden the incarnate word of God, in whom are hidden all the treasures of God's divine wisdom and knowledge. What a treasure to possess! My friends, you have it, and I have it, in the person of Jesus Christ. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. It can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore evermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again